to come in, lap after lap after lap, and what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it, stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George, try and straight line it, get to the line and we'll see what happens. Paris tries to cut off Hamilton, oh! who knows, Hamilton goes straight on. This is quite appalling, this is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, Unqualified. Gerald and Graham coming at you again with another race recap. Uh, closer to the actual race to follow than the actual race we want to talk about. But hey, who, <laughs> who gives a shit? Everybody loves Thursday nights. Gerald, I'm glad you're no longer underwater. Maybe everybody will be able to make out your audio this time. Uh, how you doing, buddy? How you feeling? Uh, fortunately not underwater, but under the weather. So I'm not sure I'll sound any better, but, uh, lesson learned. Don't take a frontier flight. Yeah. So I'm just like unhuman subhuman person that crawled out of a hole, just sitting next to you, ca- coughing at you between their bites of chicky and peas. I don't know if it was that or the, the dirty children or both, but let's just say I have been exposed to the cutting edge of medical anomalies and, uh, I've come out the worst for it's it. It's nothing a little Rocky mountain air can't sell. That's right. That's right. And some fresh powder. Beautiful. Um, All right. Should we get to the race recap and less about my medical history? Let's get straight into it, man. Uh, All right. Well, in terms of a quick summary, so Verstappen, big headline, record-breaking 14th win from pole after this race. Hamilton uh, rode a Mercedes, which was outperforming in the high altitude of Mexico City to a second-place finish. And Perez uh, could never quite close the gap to Hamilton, leaving him finishing third. Meanwhile, Russell behind him requesting to go long on a medium to soft strategy, um, ultimately denied. We'll debate whether or not that was a right or a wrong call. Um, but most importantly, uh, the, the real story was Ricardo winning driver of the day for one of, if not the most impressive drives of the season and a stellar return to form. Oh, wait, no, he was just one of the few drivers that was put on an advantageous strategy and in doing so, attempted an impatient and unnecessary pass on Sonoda, ultimately ruining his race for, in essence, no penalty whatsoever. So given that was the main headline from the race, um, was this, as others has said, one of the most boring races of the year, even more so than maybe Monaco? I think this is by far the most boring race of the year. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, like Monaco is boring for well-known reasons, but maybe if the rating is boring relative to what you expected it to be, yeah, I think this is definitely the most, I'll reframe it, underwhelming race, given what I was going... I mean. The championships are over, right? So you got the, the the overlay of that, which obviously removes a little bit of the excitement. But on track action wise, yeah, I think everybody was hoping for a little bit more chaos. Um, and I the Daniel Ricardo dick riding on the Sky broadcast was like was very nauseating. I couldn't understand how everybody overlooked so quickly the fact that he completely just shunted Sonoda out of the race and. Got away with murder and didn't got clear air on a, to your point, better tire strategy. That, to me, was just such a joke. Uh, I I want him to have absolutely no credit for that performance. Z- like, zero. Meanwhile, in a week pri- a week prior, another driver 
basically having effectuating the same, if not a bigger impact on the race was talked about, like he should be dragged away in handcuffs, you know, Lance Stroll on Alonzo. So, um, but look, I think Mexico one, yes, the championship fight, but two, I mean, if you think about to the, to the prior season, it was largely just Perez slowly chasing Hamilton only to not pass him again as well. Like that was the main excitement of the race, but I, I think part of it is we've just been, yeah. Well, the order the order after the opening turn, or two turns, right, after Perez got through on Russell, that race order basically stayed the rest of the race, right, in the top five, relatively speaking. Other than the shuffling other than the, Botas yeah. slowly sliding back due to a lack of racecraft and aggressiveness, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you had the shuffling in the for the pit windows, but yeah, it was uh, nothing really changed the whole race. Um, so yeah, we could have done with a safety car, not a virtual safety car, like an actual safety car or something. Um, I'll confess to having been sitting there most of the time hoping that Hamilton was going to pull it out. I, I was, I was cheering for him, genuinely surprised by Mercedes' pace. Although it does make sense in hindsight, but um, I really wanted Lewis to win. I really did. Well, fortunately, as we look ahead to this week, this next race in Brazil, oftentimes even more eventful than than Mexico City. So fingers crossed for a, a bit more of an eventful um, race weekend. But look, I think part of the problem is we've been really spoiled this season, I think, because of new regulations, unpredictability in terms of just overall performance, engine failures, driver errors due to, you know, new cars, as well as, and maybe I'm wrong on this, we should we should look at this, but like overall like number of rain races seems to be higher, whether it be in qualifying or on race day. And I think that's just added to more excitement on other weekends when maybe it wouldn't have existed quite as much. So I think we've been a bit, a bit spoiled this season. Yeah. Well, the other thing I'll say is like Mexico has a really long straight and you would think that that would be conducive to overtaking, but then there's other parts of the track that are just like really undrivable, like that freaking stadium. I mean, the stadium area is awesome. But the, that chicane is undrivable, man. Like, it is just like watching nails across a chalkboard, watching those cars try and torque themselves through that thing. And then, you know, you get the Constantina, and then, like, nobody gets a good exit. The straight is kind of diminished a little bit. Like, it's – it's it, it, it makes – it's it's a recipe for tough overtaking, I think, and maybe had gone a little bit under the radar for me relative to some other tracks that I'm more critical of, typically. Yep. All right. Well, let's dive into some more of the the race details. But but before we do, um, you know, I, I need to take a moment and apologize for my subpar audio quality last week. Um, admittedly, I failed to inform the audience that I was recording from Atlantis and thus the underwater sound. But let's be clear, we never made any quality guarantees on this show or commitments to high standards of professionalism. So really, it's on you for for sticking around. And frankly, I don't really care all that much about your listening experience. What I was really most disappointed by was the fact that my epic rant about Tim Cook will be memorialized in such low resolution. So um, yeah, we can't we can't get that one back, unfortunately. I <laughs> just... I'm pleased that you were comfortable enough with that rant to give yourself the own goal uh, of it being epic. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's uh, you know, Graham. That's never been my that's never been my problem. All right. Anything else you want to apologize for? Uh, well, I have plenty, but not not to this audience. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, 
let's talk some of the other big news off track before we dive in. Uh, the biggest one had to be the cost cap detail settlement with Red Bull being released by the FIA, albeit we thought it might not be, um, much to our skepticism. But you want to give a little bit of a rundown of of ultimately what what was the decision and, and the punishment for Red Bull? What did I say about this like three weeks ago? That this was going to be a giant nothing burger. And that is exactly the recipe the FIA has cooked up. $7 million fine, which doesn't come out of the cost cap, which is a, a one hundredth of a corporate sponsorship that Red Bull has a number of. So that's totally irrelevant. And then it's a reduction in wind tunnel time uh, by 10%, which if you think about it in the context of the reduction in time, they already have implicitly because of where they finish in the structure. So for people that don't know, like there's already a gradient of allowable wind tunnel testing time that the FIA uses as a sliding scale in reverse order of constructor standings finishing to try and create more parity in the sport. It's a bit similar to like the worst teams in the NFL get the best draft picks to try and, you know, year over year actually equalize out the actual like multi-year performance. And that ranges from 70% for the winner down to 115% for the loser, basically five, 5% increments all the way through. And it, and it also applies to some of the, the CFD um, or like fluid dynamic simulations to kind of test your, your CAD designs outside of your wind tunnel time. So Red Bull is already working on a base of 70% relative to the 115 that Williams is going to get. Now they lose 10% on that, which is down to 63. Somebody on the race made a really good point that, look, if this was a year where the aerodynamic philosophy was changing significantly and you were like debating approaches to like fundamental car design, that type of wind tunnel time could be really costly. But that's not the era we're in in the next couple of years. And Red Bull has arguably already established a huge advantage in their car design. And so they're really kind of going to be in a more maintained, innovating on the margins, you know, mode. So to me, this was like the FIA's attempt to not disturb the peace as much as possible. You don't want people like Toto Wolf being able to say that like, oh, the cost cap doesn't matter, but you also don't want to alter championships and do revisionist history. To me, they actually did a pretty effective job at striking the middle ground. And to be honest, there hasn't been a lot of conversation in the press about it since the penalty was released. Everybody kind of did their one hour of bitching on Twitter and then went away, which is, I think, ultimately what the FIA wanted them to do. So, yeah, I wonder if there was any other like communication behind the scenes to other teams of like, let's not drag this out. Because honestly, I was surprised by maybe the lack of forcefulness that other teams talked about this. Because look, even as you said, the race and their position was it's not going to impact them that much in subsequent seasons. It's not even 10% of the overall allo- their overall allocation. It's 10% of their remaining. So it's only 7%. And look, it's not even going to really impact 2023 quite as much because probably some development has already been done for the 2023 season. And so it's largely going to be a, a 2024 20, impact. And so by the time that impact is felt, it'll probably be early enough for them to start, you know, exploiting the cost cap rules in 2025 in preparation for 2026. And so I, I guess I would question, was the punishment really harsh enough? I, I have a, they basically win two constructors championships here as a result of going over the cost cap. And I mean, yeah, if you're going to abuse the system, you might as well do it at the beginning of a regulation change. So really, is that enough to discourage other teams from doing that? I, but that like cause and effect, like, 
you can't definitively sit here and say that they won two constructors championships because of the overspend and the cost cap. Like I, I'm just not convinced. Like there is no one to one metric for dollar spend to car performance. And, and as much as people want us, and Christian Horner will say, well, I think he was quoted as like, oh yeah, that 10 percent one tunnel is a half second of lap time. And before the penalties came out, Bonato was like, there one million dollars of overspend is a half second of lap time. The truth is, nobody fucking knows. Like, nobody knows, like, what million dollars in that $150 million stack is actually generating car performance on an objective basis. It's not possible, man. So it's all funny math. And I don't think that the alternative was tenable, which was doing something that, in retrospect, was actually going to alter the... the only Maybe the only other thing they could have done is to reduce Red Bull's constructors' points from last year in a manner that didn't alter their finish standing but would have sent a message to teams and said, in the future, if you do this, you could be in a position where you'd fall down the constructor's table because we will dock points retroactively. That's what I really think they should have done if you if you wanted to balance both of like really do something that harms Red Bull but doesn't really harm them. Like you could have almost added a third leg to the stool of like straight cash penalty, reduction in research resources, which is wind tunnel, and a deduction of your actual finishing position in terms of constructor's points. That, to me, would have been like the good trifecta. And you'd have ended up in the same place, but you would have struck more fear in teams on a go-forward basis. Well, and and those were, I totally agree with you, and those were two penalties that were available if Red Bull didn't sort of agree with this agreement, right? Like, they could have been subjected to that. And so I think it supports your point of the FIA trying to just get past this as quickly and, you know, as, as possible without creating any more controversy than it already has, because if this would have extended, then certainly those punishments would have been on the table. So it was certainly beneficial for Red Bull, in my opinion. I still don't think it was enough from a, from a pure, a pure punishment standpoint, but to your point, you say you can't say that it, you can't say that it, uh, impacted their performance. No doubt there will be people saying that for the next decade. So, um, Plenty of people certainly can and and will. I mean, dude, who knows? Like, what percentage of actual wind tunnel time actually nets out into an innovation that makes it on the track to make a car faster? Like, I have no idea. Like, those engineers could be just going and standing in that thing and letting the wind blow their teeth open and like doing. St- who knows how the fuck they're using that time, dude? I have no clue. That's like, almost certainly what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably what Lawrence Stroll's doing in his new one that they're building. I don't think he's t- never mind. Letting his blood in his butt. I was gonna say I don't think he's taking it in the mouth. Let's- <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Other uh, off-track controversies. Red Bull boycotting Sky Sports. Uh, oh, give us man. the give us the breakdown here. All right. So the what happened is uh, Ted Kravitz made a comment during the Austin broadcast about. Lewis's championship being stolen last year or being him being robbed. I think the exact terminology was that Lewis was robbed uh, of a championship. And apparently the language really, really pissed off Max to the point where he basically is categorically declining any media engagement with Sky Sports as a result of it. And then the Red Bull team kind of in solidarity with their driver announce the same thing indefinitely. And I think Max's direct quote was, you keep disrespecting me and I'm not tolerant anymore. So he's a pattern of behavior here. He did this with Netflix. 
if you know, it's just like, hey, you're telling a narrative that I don't agree with, and so I'm just going to close my door and you know go sit on my bed type thing. So that's that's what happened. What what, what was your reaction? I mean, I think it was a little harsh. I mean, look, you should largely be expecting some criticism as everyone is, right? And so he's not immune from that. It seemed a little forceful. It seemed a little, um, I don't know. It seemed a little Trumpian in terms of like a little fake news and I'm going to, you know, now we need some censorship. So I just worry about that. And they even talked about some social media stuff after the race as well. And Max just has a proclivity for like, you know, social media platforms need to stop, you know, certain language. So I think his... I think censorship is his first first reaction, which I'm you know inherently not a fan of. Um, but I also think from the overall like sport perspective, it's like from Ted Kravitz' perspective of like it's done. Everyone else has moved on. You sound like the rest of the conspiracy theorists on Lewis Hamilton's Facebook page. Like we're a year later now. Like how much longer do you want to keep living in the past? And so I, I think. And I think he probably got a, I'm sure he's received instruction to refer to things differently going forward as well. Probably part of some sort of agreement in which like, it sounds like Red Bull's reversed that decision very promptly now going into Brazil as well as like, they're not going to continue the boycott. At least that's what I've seen, which makes me wonder, what do you think? Was that a, the team announced it or did, did that, does that include Max? I'm not sure on the details. It was a pretty quick look, but I would imagine they'd want to nip that in the bud pretty quickly. Scott Sky being the largest broadcast partner and major revenue generator. So I don't know. What were your thoughts on maybe the behind the scenes politics and, and sort of correcting that? You think that's Sky coming down pretty hard on them? And first, I'll, first I'll give you my reaction less diplomatically. Max is being a bitch. And I think that this is just like, hey man, you're getting paid $40 million a year. That comes with the spotlight. Your global brand is rising as a result of this sport. You better learn how to accept, like, grow the fuck up and accept criticism, regardless of whether the timing of it is poor, it's in bad taste, whatever, dude. Like, grow the fuck up and and see the big picture and just let this stuff, like, bounce off you. This ought to be water off of a duck's back. Like, it, it is a lack of maturity on his part to just even care to engage in this type of bullshit. Now, that's saying nothing about, I don't care at all about Ted Kravitz. If anything, I love how he pisses off the guys in the booth. He and Brundle are always like, going by. I like, he, he's just like a chaos agent on the on the Sky broadcast, which I, I just like in general. Yeah, sure. Like, I think people should move on too. But also, like, last year's championship was the most significant thing to happen in F1 in probably 10 years. And so, yeah, we're less than a year removed. If people want to still talk about it, like, ah, kind of hard to blame them. So, my view is like, Max, just grow the fuck up, man. Like, I, this is – he's making it really hard for me to defend him. And on this one, I'm not going to. And it's not because I'm no longer a Max Verstappen fan, but I just like – these are the types of character things where, like, you can go from, like, star rising, popular guy to the villain, like, really quickly. It happens, like, in media, ask, sports media. Just ask Russell. Look at what's happened to Russell Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Yes! Look at what's happened to Russell Wilson, dude. Like, he is, like, the Antichrist of the NFL now. Because he's just been labeled as, this, like, this disingenuous person. Of the NFL. And it, it can happen. It, it, do what? You said of the NFL. Of Formula One. Russell Wilson? Oh. 
Oh, I thought you. I was thinking George Russell. We were thinking no, different. I'm Russell Wilson. Oh. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> but I, like you know, how Russell Wilson went from like golden child. He was like very popular when he was winning, and then all of a sudden, as soon as he like stopped getting a little bit of success, everybody just labeled him as this disingenuous person. He became like a villain in NFL media, and that's like where he's at now. And I'm just like Max, like you. I don't think he realizes like how much it's been. It would benefit him to just like lean in a little bit to being just like an agreeable personality. Like he could, he's got to learn to temper it just a little bit, or it could really fucking backfire on him at some point. Like when Red Bull's not dominating, that attitude is going to be really, really, really hard to stomach. Like really hard. He gets away with it now because he's winning, but he's not always going to be winning, man. Can you imagine what people would think about Lewis Hamilton right now, the season he's having, right? The first downslope of his longstanding dominance. Can you imagine what people would think of him if he if he was saying shit like this, like in the fir- at the first sign of like lack of success in his career? He would be hated. He'd be despised as a bitter, broke loser. And I just think Max is setting himself up for that if he doesn't like fucking quit this stuff. It's fun. Well, first off, apologies for my mistake. I just heard what I wanted to hear, which, as you know, I'm I'm very apt to do. So um, that's my bad. But um, well, it's interesting because Wilson's downfall was largely just because of. Perf- <laughs> you were just looking for an opportunity to just take another shit on George Russell's personality. Yeah, hundred percent. Which I I respect. I respect you're dedicated to your co- to your your topics. Yeah. Absolutely. I was like, someone agrees. I have to delete like. <laughs> I have to like delete 10 lines of George Russell hate out of the show notes every single week. It's just, it's like a, it's a cancer. <laughs> well, it's interesting because Wilson's downfall is like purely performance based. Whereas Max is like just kind of how things played out. And a lot of times it's been his personality, but it's funny that you say he needs to be more agreeable. I was almost going to go the other way is I just wish he wouldn't concede, be just like the aggressive Max and like call him out for like, his bullshit take and just be like almost more aggressive. Like, meanwhile, yes, Hamilton is obviously like the superior diplomat and how you should aspire to act when people like demonize you or criticize you. But like Max brand was kind of that like rougher around the edges. And so I wish he would have just taken that place. Then like, no, I don't want to talk to you. I'm not going to speak to the media. So yeah, I, I would much rather him be like, he get asked a question at press conference and he'd be like, yeah, well, Ted Kravitz is a fucking bitch, you know? Like, just say that, right? Like, if you, to your point, like, it's way better to just be aggressive and almost just, like, jab back than to basically just hide into your shell. That's, like, the worst possible response. Yeah, do like, one or the other, and one is clearly more on brand. But, yeah, he just sort of took the, 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 the middle ground, like, middle way out. It's a good point, though, that leaning into the bad guy persona in almost a funny way is actually, like... That can get you some serious, like, credibility. Well, that, so, yeah, and that yeah, was how we made his mark, right? He was aggressive on the track. He was always more blunt. Like, I don't know if, if he's getting media training to, like, you know, suppress that a little bit. I mean, he's shown a lot more maturity anyway. So, yeah, I, I would have appreciated maybe a little bit more fire from that, a little more entertainment. All right, let's move on. Um, the other big news was, um, shockingly, the FIA – well, maybe more so the Mexican stewards reversed the Alonzo penalty from the prior race in which his team sent him out with a quote-unquote unsafe car, um, which basically returned Alonzo to his seventh place 
finish after a great drive, um, which was hugely beneficial, giving the team another six points in their battle with McLaren for fourth place in the Constructors' Championship. Um, you know, especially important given the phenomenal performance by Ricardo and, you know, which certainly is a precursor to the competitiveness that we can anticipate in his final two races of his career. Right, right, Graham? I, <laughs> that was, hypo- it was hypothetical. That, um, more uh, like <laughs> to me, to me as like credentializing, you know, like award systems, the driver of the day award is now in the same threshold as like Schindler's list. Like to me, those are like, <laughs> like <laughs> what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> I was, uh, that, no, please continue. No, head. please continue. I would like, <laughs> could you just elaborate on that thought a little bit more? <laughs> and we thought, and we thought your controversial take was going to come on the next topic about the unrest in Brazil, but. Um, <laughs> All right, you got <laughs> All I'm saying is that the, is that the award has no credibility anymore, mm. and I guess Schindler's List was not a great analogy for that. Not exactly an award. I think it did win awards, also for which it is well deserving. So it was a <laughs> failure on multiple levels. <laughs> um, all right, um, a bit more obje- a bit more objectively. <laughs> Um, I guess the real question is <laughs> driver of the day legitimacy aside or your take on Schindler's list. Um, FIA, what the fuck? Do you not know your own rules? Um, I mean, honestly, the, the reversal and the fact that they, they told Haas, you have an hour to submit your, your complaints when they, the rules clearly state you have 30 minutes. I mean, how bad of a look is that? And do you agree with the reversal to begin with, or should they have sort of stuck by it? Again, none of this would be necessary if they just didn't have a policy that allowed other teams to provide input into how they adjudicate these types of (laughs) safety issues on the track. Like, (laughs) I think, I think that like we're, we're solving the wrong problem, like with the debate about what, whether the after the fact decision made sense, the point is it never should have been necessary. So I don't think it really makes sense to, they really shouldn't spend any time discussing whether reversing something like that is okay or not. It should have been decided up front and Haas shouldn't have had a say in it. So, you know, yeah, yeah, that to me is kind so of. So you're saying it shouldn't have really been based on the the team challenge to begin with. It should be more of the. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is like there should be there should be no controversy about a team challenge because the team challenge is the wrong approach. So anything that comes in controversy related to the team challenge, like as a derivative of that, is like to me, it's just like kind of meaningless to talk about because I think it's just entirely wrong approach. Well, and I think the the lost storyline beneath this is the fact that Haas were told they had one hour to submit their complaint. And I think they submitted it at like minute 56. Like how much of like a procrastinating college student vibe does that give off? You know, like maybe you should have done it like sooner. Maybe you should have known the rules yourself. Like it just seems like classic, classic Haas move. So we've all been there, man. You turn in something behind the deadline and then you fake internet issues, you know, grandma's sick. Uh, Yeah, we've all been there. I mean, look at this podcast, case in point. All right. Um, 
Well, you already have one apology for next week that you'll have to offer. So let's move on to our next topic, which is um, some interesting news. Again, geopolitics polling, uh, impacting F1, the unrest in Brazil following their recent election um, and the potential impact to the Brazilian GP. Uh, what's the what's the news? Yeah, so I, it's tough to I've been monitoring Twitter like it, it still seems to be like rumor mill. Oh, people status, people still but, use um, Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Uh hopefully more and more real people these days actually would be nice. Um uh I uh basically what's happened is there's political unrest as a result of a presidential election that happened very recently in Brazil and there's this whole like election result denial going on from the candidate who lost Bolsonaro and his right-wing followers. Uh, unlike the, that's what, which sounds very familiar to Americans at the current moment in history. Uh, Brazil has got a lot more context there that matters a lot in terms of like the opposition candidate is like basically guilty of fraud and was acquitted and there's a lot of corruption in general. So they've got a lot more reasons to mistrust their democracy than probably we do. Point is, there's a lot of protesting happening. There have been supply trucks getting delayed, like team stuff that is maybe in doubt of getting to the location in time. And then just from a pure safety standpoint, I think the FIA is monitoring and questioning whether there potentially uh, is a safe enough environment to continue. So it's just kind of a rumor mill status on Twitter. My overall observation of it is, hey, man, we raced in Saudi Arabia in the middle of a missile strike. I think it's going to be okay. Like they'll probably figure it out. Brazil is a massive market for F1, like a massive market for F1, way bigger than, than the Middle East. Uh, I can assure you of that. And so it's literally the only race on this continent, right? So I'd be shocked if it actually made a meaningful impact on the timing or whether the race actually goes forward. But it did get a little bit of traffic this week and it does resurface, right? Uh, questions about F1's involvement in different places in the world. And also actually made me wonder, like, Whose job with an F1 is it to like evaluate geopolitical risk? Like they've got to have a team, right? Or they hire like a contractor that like goes before them and assesses these types of safety things. I think that'd be an interesting job. I mean, it would be an interesting job. I think they have more fundamental problems to be assessing um, before that sort of higher order risk mitigation play. But um, and I think the big difference with the whole Brazilian situation is largely I don't know that this is seen as a safety issue and more of a a thorn in the massive logistical exercise that is moving F1 around the world. And so you saw pictures of Ferrari stuck in traffic trying to leave the airport. But it seems like teams get there soon enough and the protests have been broken up quick enough on major thoroughfares to be able to enable traffic. But you know, if I had to pick one team that's probably not going to make it on time given recent events, I'd probably pick Haas might be sitting this one out, but uh, time will tell. All right, I think we've spent enough time off the track. Let's get to the race itself, starting with the Constructor Championship leader, um, well, and winner. Red Bull started for first and fourth, finished first and third. Um, as I already said, 14th win for Verstappen. Perez picked up another five points on Leclerc after Ferrari's... Um, very poor showing this weekend. Uh, but unfortunately, Perez, a little disappointing in my book, not being able to close the gap uh, on on Hamilton. He had some uh, electrical issues in qualifying, apparently, which, which hurt his qualifying. I'm not sure I would have expected him to finish any um, higher to begin with. 
Uh, but also I think he, you know, he made a good pass on Russell at the start, starting on softs. Um, but look, I think this goes to like the, the intrigue of the race, which is far more nuanced than in other races. As you looked at the details, you sort of saw Perez chances slipping away sort of with a lot of minute little moments. First, it was the, first, it was the pit stop. That was a second slower, um, second, it was just some of the early opportunities to get by Hamilton didn't pay off. And then it was as clear as they're clearing back markers, pa- Hamilton, whether he timed it perfectly or whether Perez just got a bit unlucky, he just always found himself, I think, getting caught a little bit more behind back markers at disadvantageous moments than Hamilton, which I think just snatched any opportunity away from him to, to get second place. Um, in terms of Verstappen, Two races to go, already has the record for most race wins. What's your thoughts on him winning the next two races? What what do you give the probability? Greater than 50%, probably. I mean, I I don't see any – what I, I don't have a specific thesis for what would stop that other than a random collision or mechanical failure, honestly. Like, I don't think anybody's going to beat that Red Bull with him in it on track. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, look – Lewis has a sterling track record at uh, at Interlagos, but this is not last year's car. You know, you could argue that his performance in Interlagos last year was one of the best of his career. Um, but yeah, it's not the same car, and the strengths of the Red Bull are well suited for that track more than they have been in the past. And um, I don't see any reason why I would. I would. Uh, in hindsight. It seems that Mexico may have been Mercedes' best chance of winning a race. Um, and they just couldn't quite get there. Uh, comment on the Perez thing. I, I don't actually feel like I really learned anything about Perez in this race. Um, he was where I would have expected him to be relative to Verstappen. I think Hamilton, the story is really just about Mercedes and that they were in a place that not many people expected them to be. Otherwise, this was going to be a slam dunk Red Bull 1 2. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. And I, I think uh, Perez's probably best performance came at the end of the race, sort of given the Dikembe Matumbo finger wave to the hometown crowd when, you know, Hamilton went in for his little post-race conference or, you know, interview um, and, and got some booze. And clearly uh, the, the audience, uh, clearly it's unwarranted from the audience and they don't know about the bromance between Checo and, and Lewis's dad with some some big embraces after the race, which I have to say, it warms the heart and it's good to see that sort of camaraderie among the, the families of the drivers as well. Yeah, I wish some of that class would rub off, media, class in front of the media would rub off on Max. Like he could use a little bit of it. I can tell you what Max is never going to do is finger wag the Dutch fans for Boone Lewis Hamilton. Like, give me a break. I disagree. I'm hoping for the the arm raise. Hype him up, you know? Uh, One direction or the <laughs> Honestly, I'll take either. Just don't be a bitch. Like, don't be a little brat. Just be a villain. Be a villain. If you're going to be a villain, be a villain. Exactly. Don't be, don't half-ass being a villain. Or be a classic. Whatever you're going to yeah. do, do it well. Um, all right. Well, before we talk about Mercedes, which there's a lot to cover there, let's talk about F- Ferrari, which I'm not sure they were even shown on the screen more than about 10 seconds. <laughs> um, gave up 13 points today. Uh, I'm sorry. However many days ago the race was like <laughs> 13 <laughs> points practically last week at this point. Um, oh, I wrote these <laughs> notes while I was watching the race and didn't look at them since. <laughs> Um, now they just have 40 points up on Mercedes in the constructors championship with two races left. Um, 
look, they didn't even qualify well, seventh and and fifth, basically finished in the same spot, I guess, what, fifth and sixth. Um, you know, struggled throughout most of the weekend. I guess, what's your, what's your take? Does this largely tell about, I guess, validate some of the concerns that we had about potential reliability and maybe they were protecting the engines um, given the, the thinner air or are they maybe throwing second place and uh, trying to get more wind tunnel time and, and championship money? Um, what's your thoughts? I mean, we said going into this, we re- we, re- we referenced back to Austria and we said the last time they raced in high altitude, they were fast as shit, but Carlos assigned, Carlos Sainz's car literally caught on fire. So I'm not as much of a natural conspiracy theorist as you, but I do think that the, the notion that they would dial back engines and attempt to just rack up fourths, fifths, and sixths, doing the math and knowing that's all they need to be able to beat Mercedes, that wouldn't be the dumbest tactical move ever. Like, it really wouldn't. Um, so you think it's more risk mitigation at this point? They 40 points is a big gap. The only way you lose is if you have a DNF. Let's just bring it home at this point, and Bonato's trying to keep his job. Now, you know, the counter to that is like, okay, well, mechanical failure is only one element of risk. The driver can still put it into the wall, and in that case, you're going to wish you had turned up Charles Leclerc's engine and put him four or five grid spots further up the field, right? Like, so I don't know. I More than likely was just that they got the balance wrong and just had a bad weekend. Everybody's subject to it at some point or the other. But it's definitely more fun to believe that they're quote unquote tanking intentionally. Well, and I think you could potentially see a lot of their advantages in their aero package, which is slightly diminished um, in a high altitude race. I also do think they were probably a little bit concerned, or maybe it's potentially just the turbo design. So whether that was turning the engines down or their turbo design not operating as efficiently, I think I saw somewhere that it is potentially like a smaller housing and therefore, you know, maybe it doesn't have as much output. Hard to say, but I think I agree with you. They really wouldn't want to throw away third. They already get the most bonus money out of any team. So they're not hurting for cash. I, I don't think the, the CFD time or, or wind tunnel time is really going to make that big of a difference. And they just need some, they need some good press coming out of here, at least finishing second. It would be a train wreck if they, they came in third. All right, let's turn to Mercedes. Uh, phenomenal weekend for them. Qualified two, three finished two, four. Um, Picked up 13 points on Ferrari. Hamilton really on form here. Jumped signs in the driver's championship for fifth. um, And now just 15 points behind Russell for third. So third place is very much um, in the window for him at this point. Despite qualifying behind Russell, um, Russell just got a little bit of a, a slower start off the line. And Julian Palmer on F1 does a sort of a race recap and he broke down Hamilton's move phenomenally well that that turn three right before the straight you know Hamilton pulled up alongside of him positioned himself effectively to be able to kind of run him wide um, and not lose too much on the exit whereas Russell was sort of positioned for a better exit but ultimately that was compromised with with Hamilton sort of pushing him wide and and he ultimately lost then position to to Perez as well I guess the the big the big question mark regarding Russell was he's sitting in fourth place, trailing behind Perez, and he comes on the radio basically calling for the same strategy that Ricardo subsequently went on and had phenomenal success. So do you think Mercedes made a mistake not putting Russell 
um, having Russell go longer, putting him on softs when maybe they didn't have anything to lose with him in fourth? This is hard, man, because it's just it's such an easy thing to say after the fact. But if you're a Mercedes race strategist and you genuinely believe you have no reason to believe the mediums won't fall off. They did the objectively smartest thing they could have done. I mean, they 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 genuinely believed that the medium tire was not going to hold up that long. And um, so, I, sure, I mean, maybe the argument you could make is they were they were they were the uh, they were on the they had to be on the attack because they had lost track position in the race to both Red Bulls, and so splitting strategies would probably not have been the worst thing, right? Like. You might as well try multiple things when you're on the attack and you got nothing to lose, more or less. Um, that's the only criticism I can really lob. But I I don't criticize them for not knowing that that would have was going to be the better strategy because uh, it's just one of those races where tire degradation wasn't what people thought it would be for one reason or the other. I don't really know why. Yeah, I give them less criticism for their opening strategy. Like, sure, that would have made a big difference, but you know, I think the data that they had, it seemed like you know, the, the medium hard, but would have maybe worked better. Um, so be it. But that being said, I I do, I don't know. It's a little bit disappointing that they didn't pivot based on Russell's poor start. And it just kind of goes to show Mercedes, maybe not having in general as aggressive of strategy decisions. A lot of times, I think maybe they become a bit complacent in their success. Um, and credit to Russell for like knowing you know, having a position and and pushing for it. Part of me wishes he would have just stayed out and said like, screw you guys, like we're doing this strategy. But I've also seen some like post-race analysis that said he also had some higher degradation than Hamilton as well, which would have made, you know, pushing those mediums longer, a more difficult strategy. But for me, it was just the fact that, and look, he almost, he got pretty close to, to Perez at the end anyway, but that was probably management on Perez's part. I just think for me, it was the massive gap that you could already see opening to Ferrari. The strategy could have been wrong. You could have lost all pace on the softs. Hell, you probably could have even pitted a second time um, based on how far back Ferrari was. And so I didn't think they had anything to lose to potentially capture a, a, a podium and, and close more ground on uh, Ferrari as well. So... Yeah, I think it's a little bit unfair to say that they maybe have lost their edge and aren't as aggressive. There's tons of examples from last year of them being the aggressor with Lewis's strategy, putting him on a two-stop and having him try and run down Max at the end of the race. Like, I I think it's just one of the – and also, like, look to be – and I, you're not insinuating this, but Mercedes race strategy woes to the degree that's what you could even call them are not the same as Ferrari's race strategy woes, right? Like, Mercedes is like – we did everything right procedurally. We just made wrong assumptions based on the best information that we had. Ferrari is like, we fucked the procedure. <laughs> like, time and time again. So, like, those two things are not the same. I, I still think that Mercedes has the class of race strategists next to Red Bull on the grid. Agreed. I, I'm I'm almost insulted that the thought would even cross your mind that I could insinuate something as foolish as claiming Mercedes not race you. strategists. Listen, I, I just want to clarify. Yes. Anybody that's a Ferrari, I don't want anybody that's a Ferrari hawk to hear criticism towards a Mercedes race strategy decision and feel any level of solidarity with that team because of that. Like you are not created the same. You are sad and pitiful and stupid and dysfunctional and and German 
team operating principles are probably superior to Italian team operating principles and decision making every single time. Nice. I'm, you know, I'm glad we could dig into the nationalism a little bit there, more. There. There's a reason why that it couldn't rely on them to win any part of the war back in the day. You know, I'm just saying like, <laughs> well, to f- not reliable. Well, to further inflame your nationalistic uh, passions, let's move on to uh, Alpine. Then um, they dropped four points to McLaren this weekend, despite looking really good until about mid race. Um, and now they're just seven points ahead of McLaren. Both drivers qualified in Q3 with Alonzo ninth, Ocon 10th. Um, and Alonzo had a great start off the line. Um, both Al- Alonzo and Ocon were in front of the McLarens at one point before Alonzo had a DNF in which at simultaneously Ricardo passed Ocon. So really a, a lap to forget or more like a corner to forget for that team. But Look, I think it just again goes to show while while Ferrari has race strategy issues, Alpine with with uh, mechanical engine issues. I actually saw somebody posted sort of all of the the highest DNF rates in a season, and basically like all but like four or five of the top like fifteen are Renault. There's a couple of McLarens mixed in there, and then uh, I'm sorry, Honda engine with McLaren. And then somewhere down the list, it's just like a steady slew of Ferrari for the next like six or seven. But interestingly, Alonzo, while Renault's at the top of that list, Alonzo's also like three of the top seven. Two of them, I believe, were with McLaren um, with Honda Power. And then this season was like maybe fifth or sixth down the list, his third highest failure rate at like, I don't know, 20%. So um, both of them is like a match made in hell. And given that track record of engine performance, it's no surprise that uh, Alonzo wasn't totally reluctant to to move teams and and have a, a I'm sorry, a Mercedes-powered car. But um, look, do you think they're going to, do you think it's just pure failure? Or do you think this is an opportunity for them to sort of capitalize on the rules in which while there's an engine freeze, if you have reliability issues, you can still introduce new performance. Um, and and given this weekend's performance, is there anyone you feel worse for on the grid than Fernando Alonso? Wait, did you just try and characterize Alpine's reliability issues as a position of strength somehow? Eh, str- given how they can operate within the rules? A strategic move, possibly. You know, the, the French are very adept at those. In no way do I think this team is operating from a position of strength going into next year. Let me be clear about that. Your team leader is Esteban Ocon, who you're pairing with a French driver who fucked his girlfriend, and you ran off Fernando Alonso, and you are continuing, to your point, a 10-year run of just really poor demonstrated reliability. I mean, the Renault engine is the reason why Red Bull was not able to compete with Mercedes for most of the like their dominance in the turbo hybrid era. Like this is not an impressive engine manufacturer. This is not new news. So yeah, I'm with you. I do not have trouble seeing why Alonzo's leaving. The shot of him head in his hands on the side of the track, like you can just tell it is driving him insane, man. Like he is on such form and you can tell he has worked to great levels of personal sacrifice to be on that form. And it's as if the team is like taking that effort and just spitting on it. Like it is tough to watch. I am very happy he's leaving. More increasingly happy. 
that he's leaving. I would be more happy if I I had more confidence in in Aston Martin going into next season, despite their glimmers of performance. It, it's woefully inconsistent. I think also Fernando, I feel bad for him on the track. The man is a uh, very adept at inviting controversy and scorn his way off the track. So I'm sure there's plenty who um, aren't aren't too sad to see to see him sort of fail out after after another decent performance. But he's a guy who you respect because he embraces his role as the villain. And he's consistent. And if he thinks that he wants you to shut the fuck up, he says it. And I appreciate that. It makes him a much easier person to cheer for because at the end of the day, he's genuine. Like, that's that's all you can really ask for. That's why I cheer for him. And I think his racecraft is unbelievable. The argument for Aston Martin is that all the investments and the big money that Lawrence Stroll was pouring in are coming online next year. You have the swath of engineers that he poached who are getting through their garden leaves from Mercedes and Red Bull, like Dan Fallows, who are now going to have a full year of employment under their belt. The wind tunnel comes online right next year. Like there are re- there are some solid infrastructural reasons to believe. Like if you're a driver listening to that pitch across the table, that next year will be better. Um, and that their pro- similar promises a year ago about this year were probably a bit disingenuous and more PR oriented, but that's just me. You know, Graham, that's why I love you. The eternal optimist, you know, you, you got to respect that. Not at all. Yeah, no, not at all. Don't ask, yeah, don't ask me how work's going for me right now. I'm not going to be an eternal optimist on that front, but, uh, I, I've, I've had this increasing, uh, affinity for Fernando Alonso throughout the year. And I really might, especially with the look and feel of Aston Martin apparel. I like the green subtle line. We talked about that last week. I might become a Fernando Alonso dick rider and, and actually invest in some merch and like really kind of get behind the villain team. The fact that Lance Stroll is still going to be there. Not great. And I'm going to have a hard time swallowing that, but like I'll be close to leaping. Into that Just make sure you get something with the 14 on it if you can. You know, make sure your allegiances are are clear in that case. Oh no, I'm getting a Kamoa, a Kamoa, Aston Martin co-branded hat. No doubt about it. I want to see that blue and orange have to work with the. I don't even know what Kamoa is. Is it like a brand of teddy bear? I have no idea. <laughs> no. I thought they were traditional Japanese dresses. <laughs> That level of ignorance is on par with your Schindler's List I comment. I don't yeah, that's pretty much. I don't know how we keep de- 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 delving into fashion conversation because that's arguably one area we're even less qualified to talk than, than racing itself. As I said last week, Graham, style over substance is your MO or your Kamoa. Oh, boy. All right, moving on. To, uh, to moving on with the team with Mr. Genuine himself, McLaren, both drivers finishing in the points, shockingly, um, and now closing the gap to Alpine. Uh, Norris qualified eighth, Ricardo not a terrible 11th place, um, and interestingly enough, Norris gave up places on the race start, while uh, Ricardo, decent start, but ultimately it was his one-stop strategy going from mediums to softs. Um, I think it was what 40 plus laps. He was on the, the mediums, um, and ultimately moved him up the grid. Um, albeit along the way, as we already mentioned, he picked up a 10 second penalty for ruining as well as two penalty points, um, for ruining Sonoda's race. 
really in a position where he didn't need to. They were going into a straight and he clearly had pay. So it was just kind of a stupid decision and, and showed a bit of it, uh, impatience on his part. That being said, it also didn't hurt him at all. He finished 10 seconds ahead of Ocon and therefore kept his position. So question to you is, um, was the 10 second penalty, one, was it deserved? And then two, was it enough? Uh, it was It was not enough. Um, to me, that should have been stop and go. I uh, he there's just when you take someone out of the race, you should be taken out of the race. That's kind of my very basic rubric for it. And he in no way, shape, or form was taken out of the race. He it's not it's one thing if it's kind of bang bang and it's close to a driving incident, but not really, and you're a little bit sympathetic. That was like absolute case closed. There was no space there. You acted in a way that completely took another driver out of the race without actually damaging your own car. The response should be a penalty that then takes you out of the race. And that is what a stop and go is because it's a 10 second stop and go penalty that is really like a 25 second penalty in totality, which takes you out of the race. So that's what I thought he deserved. And I was absolutely sick to myself watching him actually finishing the points after doing some bullshit like that. Um, so. Yeah, and then to receive the the praise for driver of the day as well. Look, I know the penalty is is consistent with past decisions and precedent, but yeah, I agree with you. I always feel um I always feel a bit icky when you see a driver like perform so well, get in the points, get this praise, and you got this other guy who like totally with no fault of their own, albeit left the door open a little wide, which I thought was maybe not super smart by Sonoda's decision either, but he probably thought, yeah, clearly Ricardo has a, a path to pass me on this straightaway. Like surely he's not going to risk both of our races and dive on the inside here. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it should have been more. I mean, I think it's kind of akin to what you saw with basically Alonzo's penalty, right? He didn't ruin somebody's race and he has in essence got a 10 second stop and go penalty for the sort of unsafe car on track. So, um, yeah, it seemed a little, and I already know your position on driver of the day. So I think we can, uh, I think we can move ahead for that. But I guess the other question is, I think part of the problem with driver of the day is it's hard to see who else actually deserved it. Given the the sort of blandness of the race overall. I mean, who would you have given it to instead of Ricardo? Probably Lewis. Yeah, probably Lewis. Um, but also, just to go back, circle back, I mean, this isn't like a driver of the day because it happened on one, it didn't happen on just this specific week, but general comment that, it, like, first off, no doubt in my mind, Mercedes has the best driver lineup that's continued to be validated, but like, man, as this car has come underneath Lewis, he has slowly taken this narrative where everybody was like, hey, George Russell's getting on top of him, oh, George Russell, George Russell, George Russell, and Lewis is just kind of quietly like, yeah, I'm still, I'm still the guy, like, don't worry about it. Let me get a car that performs consistently and I'll show you why I'm the guy. And he's like, he's kind of starting to show up that way again, which is, and he's done it quietly, respectably. He's not like, he's done it while maintaining good rapport with George Russell. It's pretty fucking impressive, man. Like you're, it's like good on you. Like he's kind of risen above and like is now quietly doing his old goat things, which is sweet well and it's all the little so, yeah, i'd give it a look it's all the little things right which which is fascinating i mean yeah like max he's been absolutely yeah. flawless this whole season mercedes and hamilton with the car struggled in the beginning but i think you just see that same level of sort of flawlessness weekend and week out meanwhile george i think he just he's just missing those couple of little points that 
that make all the difference, a couple of positions a weekend. So I'm feeling pretty, I'm feeling pretty good about Hamilton being able to take third place in, in drivers, um, which I think will be, will be sad for Russell having sort of given it away. Is it more likely that Hamilton overtakes Russell in the drivers or that Mercedes overtakes Ferrari in the constructors? Ooh. Um, I think Hamilton over Russell largely because I agree with your point of Ferrari playing more of a risk mitigation strategy at this point to secure second in the constructors. But, but either way, the narrative there, if Hamilton overtakes Russell is not disparaging towards Russell at all. He's had a great year and like reinforces the decision from Toto, the fact that they are the best driver lineup, but it's just like, dude, to your point, Lewis just does a little shit right every single week. And it's like when he's got a car that similarly does the little shit right every single week in a way that he can rely on, it's like the dude, he just doesn't miss. And you got 100% give Russell praise because he's absolutely outperformed where I would have thought he would have been, especially where the car started out. So, I mean, yeah, he should be really, really proud of his season, regardless of where he finishes to Hamilton. Um, and and I think that is the, the sort of the natural order of things um, if, if you would have asked at the start of the season. So, yeah, still an awesome year for him. Um, unfortunately the big disappointment and we'll blow through these last little bits here. Cause there's not much to cover, but Botas amazing qualifying sixth place while Joe qualified 12th. So not terrible. Um, but they, they were able to open their gap over Aston Martin by one point, uh, now to four points because Botas finished 10th. Um, but ultimately kind of a disappointing weekend for him, but kind of classic Botas great in qualifying overly tentative going into turn one, probably wasn't as comfortable on a harder compound tire as he was in qualifying on softs. And then he just lacked sort of an aggressive elbows out mentality, um, lacked the racecraft, which, yeah, I mean, just the Ocon pass was like, oh yeah, sure, please slide down the inside from like 40 meters back. So just day old spaghetti, like just no thanks. um, Not much to write home about Aston Martin. I think Haas, unfortunately with Magnuson, he got a five place grid penalty for engine components again subjected to uh young drivers um albeit Fittipaldi wasn't didn't crash into the wall so i'd pick him over giovanazzi at this point but more so engine failure on track um and we've already where, yeah well, sorry i was gonna ask where are you on the is mick gonna get a seat or not yeah or nay i mean if you take haas at their word i'd be hard pressed to say yes but I think he deserves it. I don't think you're going to find somebody who's better. You're just going to go to another young driver who's going to struggle. Haven't seen anybody else in their, at least in their car, show up. So I think you give him another spot. Um, so yeah, we'll see. The only other thing is I think he spent some time there. The other thing is does with the whole Alpha um, Audi situation. I'm sorry, Sauber Audi does Mick ultimately have a, a position there? But I have a hard time seeing him have a spot there if he doesn't stay in a Haas car in the interim until maybe Botas rolls off. To clarify for people, uh, when Gerald said Sauber, he meant Salba. Ah, whatever. I just want to make sure people knew you weren't talking about power tools. Well, you're over here talking about Constantinas. I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Good. I, I meant to. I was going to interject earlier, but this was far more rewarding. Uh, concertina effect? Isn't that a thing? Con- I think it's effect? concertina, but I could be wrong. Concertina? I think ah, so. Fuck. Yeah, well, it's like. Fuck it. N- nobody whatever. expected much more from you. Um, I think the only other thing to note as we as we talk about um, 
Williams is is uh, the fact that look, Albon had a decent weekend, finished twelfth, qualified well, but Latifi, I mean, he had a Pierre, Pierre Gasly weekend. He finished a minute behind the driver in front of him, Magnussen. So, I mean, if you couldn't put a finer point on things, um, yeah. That any anything to add there? I uh, have. Did you hear that Latifi went on Beyond the Grid this week? Did the interview with Tom Clarkson? Uh, no. Uh, it oh, sounded yes, about yes. like how. And I said, I why would I watch that? I saw the headline and I said, I imagine, I'm not going to listen to this, so I'm not going to know what it sounds like, but I imagine it would sound like the sound a dumpster would make rolling down a hill in San Francisco out of control. That's, that's, <laughs> so yeah, no thanks. I will not be listening to that interview where I hear Nicholas Latifi blame car design for 60 minutes on why he's losing his seat in Formula One. Um, no thanks. All right. Well, with that uh, highlight out of the way, um, let's talk about personal podium and DNF of the week. Who did you have on yours? My personal podium. You know what? I'm actually going to do a bait and switch here from the show notes last minute. Originally had Papa Perez on my personal podium. I'm actually going to make him my DNF of the week. Stop being selfish. Get out of the limelight. I don't know why he's as big of a deal as he is. The exuberance is great. I think it's kind of getting old. Maybe let your sun shine. So DNF of the week, Papa Perez. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> personal podium, um, maybe we'll go Lewis uh, Horner for the glasses look. Uh, looks Makes him look very distinguished. Makes me want to go get a pair of, of clear-framed Oliver Peoples and you know, wear them to work and make everybody think I'm smart. Uh, and maybe, uh, uh, what's her face? Uh, Nelson, uh, Nelson PK. Cause he didn't say anything racist this week. Fair. Well, I think he was at one of the protests though in Brazil. So, uh, Oh, all right. <laughs> withdrawn. Withdrawn. Um, all right, your turn. Well, to your, uh, to your Horner comment on his glasses, I wonder if he had to get those after the whole cost cap controversy and realized he needed to um, review the uh, the team's financials as well as their yeah. their tax rebate submissions with a bit of a finer tooth comb. So um, yeah, well, I was I, it's a point you make about the cost cap. Those things definitely aren't all over people's. They're Warby Parkers at best. They're not shelling out seven hundred dollars for prescription lenses for Christian Horner anymore. Um, other than that, on my podium, I think. You nailed it. You had to give it to to Hamilton. I think you had to give it to Albon for this weekend, showing the stark contrast within the Williams team. And of course, not to be outdone, you got to give it to to Ricardo. So uh, obviously, um, well, and that turns us to D. No, 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 and no. This is my no button. In case you couldn't pick that up through the microphone. Oh no, it was loud and clear. Is it, are you building up an inventory over there? You got uh, you got Bill O'Reilly, and I, now you got that one. Somebody gave me this as a gift on my team at work. I think uh, so. If that tells you anything about what it's like to work with me, uh, yeah, there you go. But I use it. Having to shut down all your pie in the sky ideas. Um. And while you gave uh, Papa Perez a DNF of the week, I think I have to. Uh, all joking aside, I hope you could pick up the sarcasm throughout the entire episode, but. I have to give it to every single person who genuinely voted for Ricardo 
for driver of the day, um, do better, which I think the only solace I have is the hope that a large number of people vote, did it in jest. Um, but let's be honest, that's probably not the case. So no, because he's, well, I could tell you if they voted it in jest, he fell for it hook, line and sinker. Cause his jovial self was bopping around the paddock with his stupid smile and be like, Oh, good to be back. It's like, <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Really? <laughs> like, Oh, all right, let's close it out with Brazil, what, like basically tomorrow? Um, practice starts, so just in time to give you a look ahead so you can place all your bets. Um, track overview, two and a half, two point seven 2.7 miles, uh, kilometers, who gives a shit? Uh, 15 corners, kind of a week 15 corners. Basically, the last two are all on the kind of the sweeping home straight. About a minute and 10 lap time. Interestingly enough, in, in some of my research found, this is not the original track design. The original track was actually five miles long, had 26 corners. And this was in like the 50s through the 80s. Had like a- Sounds like the Nuremberg right? Had like a two and a half minute lap time. So um, pretty fascinating if you go look up what that original track design was. That would have been a cool, cool race as well. But this is one of my favorite tracks to, to do in the sim by far. Um, and interestingly- about only 15 of the last 38 pole sitters have won the race. So a similar narrative was told about Mexico as well. So, um, but if Max doesn't get pole, very high likelihood he he takes that and sort of continues that that streak. But past races, uh, if you remember last year, this was the, sort of the sprint race. There's a sprint race then again this year. This was the one where sort of Hamilton was in found of his egregious um, error of like the wing moving by like, eighth of a millimeter or something absurd. So he started at the back in the sprint, moved halfway up, and then ended up coming from 10th into first. Um, Botas polled, ended up losing it right on the start, unsurprisingly. Uh, meanwhile, Hamilton and Verstappen had a couple of good laps of wheel to wheel, but this was the this is where I think a lot of the the controversy started heating up, right? Verstappen ran Hamilton wide uh, after that first first straight and like Verstappen went like three car lengths off the track and basically the the steward said no investigation necessary and and Hamilton quipped back with like the yeah oh of course not so that was sort of the 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 heat being turned up um that was his 101st win we didn't have a race in 2020 and then in 2019 another this is a really action packed race between Hamilton and Verstappen you had some Leclerc and Vettel battles as well as um Norris and Ricardo but on McLaren and and Renault so it seemed to be what we, what hopefully were things to come when Ricardo joined McLaren, but never quite materialized. This is also the race where um, Verstappen was coming out of the pits and Kubica got in front of him, kind of made him claw his way back in front of Hamilton. And then this was the Leclerc-Vettel DNF where Vettel was passing Leclerc on track and basically kind of veered over into Leclerc and, and double DNF. So and this is also Albon, he was sitting in second, so they pitted Hamilton like three laps left from, and he went from second to fourth, but he ended up passing Gasly, then passed Albon, well, passed Albon because he made him spin. And then, wait, what, what year are we in right now? I feel like I'm in a time machine, just like looping back and forth. This is 20, <laughs> this is 2019. So Albon was on Red oh, Bull. Okay. This was going to be his first podium. He was sitting in second and Albon kind of taking this wide line, just left the door wide open for Hamilton. And he pulled the sort of classic Hamilton move of the, the front left tire to the, the back rear spun, um, spun Albon. And then 
I think Gasly snuck by, and then this was where Gasly and Hamilton were dragging down the home straight, but Gasly held on, and so it was a Verstappen, um, I believe, Verstappen-Gasly-Hamilton finish. So again, time warp with Albon doing well, Gasly and Alphatari doing well. Yeah, it was an interesting sort of blast from the past. But again, uh, Red Bull, Mercedes, consistently strong, shenanigans from Ferrari. Um, with all that being said, what's your team assessment and, and what's your predictions for this weekend? Well, suffice to say, after all, it was a great recap. I mean, suffice to say, fun, exciting shit happens in Brazil. It's a, I, it's an awesome track. Typical, really great overtaking. It's where racecraft really shines. It's It rewards drivers who are really tactical and are really good at overtaking because there's so many opportunities to do it, not only on straightaways, but also under braking. There's a lot of opportunities to overtake under braking, which is typically very entertaining. And so, um, Going into turn one included, because the way it kind of gradually like slopes slopes down and there's kind of like a long entry and sometimes guys get a little bold. I love it. Um, team performance-wise, it's kind of hard. Like I feel like we say this every week, but it's like, I feel like Max is just going to win. I, I would like to believe that Ferrari would be a little stronger uh, and Mercedes will slide back a little bit. My bold prediction and maybe this is because I feel like the universe is finally going to pay him one, is an Alonzo podium. I I could see this being a track where Alpine's car would translate relatively well, and I feel like the universe owes him one and will finally get it. And it'll be a really cool, exciting thread in the midst of a season where the book is already 75% shut. So. I mean, both of us just keep knocking on the door of this whole Alonzo or Hamilton win thing. And after our prediction that Ferrari might do well, clearly we have no credibility whatsoever in predicting these things. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd like to think Mercedes is going to perform better as well. Unfortunately, I think probably so much of their success was dependent on Mexico conditions. So wouldn't be surprised to see them slide back a little bit here. And admittedly, I think, you know, the safe bet is obviously Red Bull's going to dominate. I think Ferrari at track suits them well. Unfortunately, I think you're also going to see it's probably a pretty high deg track as well, particularly on the on the front right, I believe. So um, yeah, I, I think you're probably going to see probably a standard sort of Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, but hell, I'd pull for a, an Alonzo podium as well. Has anyone outside the top three in the driver's standings no. Has anyone outside of the top four in the driver's standings won a race this year? No. No, and I don't know. Has Max, anybody out of the sub, the top three teams even been on, on podium this year? Like, I'm trying to think of a race of who else from McLaren or Alpine was on, on the podium at any point this season. Lando has not been on the podium. Ricardo um, certainly hasn't been. Ocon, we wouldn't, we wouldn't keep been. knocking on the door of Alpine if they had. So, yeah, it's been, I mean, very highly concentrated at the top. And even despite all of the drama, you haven't seen a, a Lando podium or a Gasly podium like you did um, previously. So there, there were more Chaos Week underdog stories and unexpected winners last year for sure. Yeah. Um, despite all of yeah. the drama this year, right? Like it, there's just such a divide between those top three battling effectively and, and stuff never really going right for the, the midfield teams to, to pull it out. So I guess you just need Botas to take out about five cars and then the, the doors open. So I wouldn't hate it. All right. Well, great episode, my friend. 
Enjoy practice tomorrow. Yeah, feel better, bud. Have a good weekend. You too, man. Peace.